The following sermon was preached at Redeeming Grace Fellowship. For more information about RGF, please visit our website at www.rgf.church. Please feel free to make copies of this sermon or distribute to friends and family. But please do not charge for those copies or alter the content in any way. Okay, let's get started. All right. Before I get into this, uh, I just want to um, state, well, first of all, what it is I'm doing up here, but then secondly, a a ground rule. Uh, I have been asked to address gospel-centered educating, uh, which is what I'm about to do. Um, But what I do want to do is make a distinction between what I am going to do and what I'm not going to do. This is going to be a conversation about gospel-centered educating, not about gospel-centered schooling. Those are two different things. Uh, If you want to have that conversation about schooling, I will be more than glad to talk to you about that afterwards. Um, And uh, I will give my gratuitous uh, advertisement right now, um, not because of business purposes, but because I do what I do because I believe in it. Uh, I am the headmaster at Grace Christian Academy in Merrick. Uh, we are the only classical Christian K-12 through in all of New York City and Long Island. Uh, we still have 100% graduation, 100% college entry, and I believe that it is because we are gospel-centered and it is because of our, our philosophical approach to education, which is much more compatible uh, with the gospel than the majority of philosophies that are out there, and we're going to talk about that. Uh, So, if you have any questions about schooling, please feel free to talk to me. Uh, Before I make another move, though, uh, I need to pray. Um, I and every cellular particle in me needs to know that I'm not the one in control here. It's God. So, join me in prayer. Father, thank you for this opportunity. Lord, thank you for uh, any enlightenment that you have brought to any one of us. Uh, Lord, we owe you that thanks, we owe you that honor, and we owe you that credit. Uh, Lord, without you and without you making yourself make sense to us, uh, we would not choose you on our own. Uh, So, Lord, we thank you for your grace and your mercy, and uh, right now we ask that by your Holy Spirit you would help us to understand your word, that you would help us to understand our world, And, uh, Lord, that you would help each one of us to become much more effective parents when it comes to educating our children. And uh, we thank you for the privilege to even be here before you. Uh, And we ask that you do great and mighty things in and through us now. In Christ's name, amen. Okay. The other day, uh, I received a call from a dad at my school who just wanted to talk to me to get some reassurance that they were doing the right thing by sending their kids to a Christian school. It turns out that a group of couples that he and his wife uh, attend regularly with uh, from church for Bible study frequently give him grief for his decision to educate his children at Grace Christian Academy. Recently, one of them said to him, Okay, so GCA has the gospel and Christian teaching. But what else would make me want to send my child there? Let that sink in for a minute. 
<laughs> think through logically what's wrong with that statement. I immediately said, there's your problem. You're engaged in Bible study with Christians who don't have a Christian worldview. What they are saying is GCA has the icing, but what about the important stuff? What they failed to realize was that the gospel is not just an important thing in a group of other important things. For the Christian, it is the thing in which all other things find their purpose and their meaning. When the gospel is viewed just as a subject among other subjects, then one has failed to understand that what gospel-centered education is. When the gospel is isolated as its own independent subject, then it logically follows that the other subjects are therefore non-gospel, and we begin to construct an entire curriculum of subjects that are secular and separated from the sacred. Am I making sense? Okay. I ask that not because I question your intelligence. I question that because last night when I'm putting this together, I'm going, does that even make sense to me? But I know what I'm talking about. I mean, I know what I see up here. Um, and if I say something that confuses you, it's not your fault. It may be mine. Please look at me confused, and I'll try to say it again. Once we have established that all non-gospel subjects are separated from the sacred, then all non-gospel subjects are permitted to stand by themselves apart from any unifying purpose or purpose giver. Viewing the created order in this way is deadly and has horrific outcomes. We cannot take it lightly. Frighteningly, we blindly send our nation's kids off to this counterfeit form of education every day in droves in this country. So, how can we say that... First of all, the gospel is not just another subject, but rather not a subject at all, and the actual birth mother of all the subjects. How can we say that? And how can we say that stripping each subject from the sacred is dangerous and even eternally damning? Well, we don't have to say it, for God has said it, and we're going to look at what he has to say about it. Let's examine these two questions from the scriptures, starting with the second one first. How can we say that the stripping of the subjects from the sacred is dangerous and even eternally damning? As we read through the following text, be mindful of what you know and see in modern day education. In other words, as we read through this text, I want you to be picturing Anything that is done educationally through a school, through the TV, through a computer program, anything that you embrace, okay, that you observe uh, that's related to education. If you would, please turn to Romans chapter 1 and go to verse 16. Paul says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of of God for salvation to everyone who believes. It is that thing that makes it possible to the Jew first and also to the Greek, in other words, to everyone. Romans 1.16, the gospel, not anything else, is the power of God for salvation. Verse 17 says, For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as it is written that the righteous man shall live by faith. 
It is through the gospel that godliness is made visible to us. The gospel is indispensable there. And it's made visible to us such that we will then be able to synchronize with it by consciously trusting and embracing its virtues as opposed to, now catch this, here's the enemy of this, as opposed to impulsively being guided by our senses. Got that? Lock that in because we're going to go back to that. Verse 18, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Because that which is known about God is evident within them, for God made it evident to them. Now catch this, For since the creation of the world, or in other words, what we come to study in biology and physics, and history, and astronomy, and even music and language. For since that creation of the world, his invisible attributes, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood through what has been made so that they are without excuse. That phrase, have been clearly seen. That is, until a counterfeit way to view things is provided as the sacred is stripped away to create the secular. Remember that phrase, okay? When we strip the sacred away, we create the secular. Verse 21, For even though they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks. Remember that. That's a building block. That's the root of where we're going. The gospel was reduced and isolated as a subject, and the other subjects were freed from the gospel to stand independent of a creator. That's what happens when, even though they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks. That's an inappropriate response. But instead, they became futile in their speculations, and their foolish heart was darkened. Welcome to secular education. What happens now? Verse 22, professing to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the incorruptible God for an image in the form of corruptible man. Now remember what's going on in your culture. And of birds and four-footed animals and crawling creatures. Okay? Therefore God gave them over in the lust of their hearts to impurity that their bodies might be dishonored among them. Again, Keep a good picture of your culture, of the, of the educating that goes on around you, including PBS, guys, okay? Now, we're going to do this a lot quicker. Watch the, de- the decay, the deterioration. Verse 25, for they exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason, God gave them over to degrading passions. For their women exchanged the natural function for that which is unnatural. And in the same way also, the men abandoned the natural function of the woman and burned in their desire towards one another, men with men committing indecent acts and receiving in their own persons the due penalty of their error. Does that look familiar? And just as they did not see fit to acknowledge God any longer, God gave them over to a depraved mind to do things which are not proper. How are we doing? Are you watching your 
culture go down the toilet. Right here in Romans 1. Being filled with all unrighteousness, wickedness, greed, evil, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, malice. They are gossip, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, arrogant, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, disobedient to parents. Look, I work in education. I can't tell you the stuff that I see. And parents don't respond to it. We're breeding monsters. Okay? Don't let them get away with that. Without understanding, untrustworthy, unloving, unmerciful. And although they know the ordinance of God that those who practice such things are worthy of death, they know that. They not only do the same, but also they give hearty approval to those who practice them. And administrators and teachers in our schools and universities all across this country do that. And it all started way back in verse 21 with men not honoring or giving God thanks, not giving credit, neither in recognition or in gratitude. It all starts when we separate, when we separate the sacred from the secular. When we reduce the gospel to just another subject and we place it next to the other non-gospel subjects. Do you see where we end up when we do that? Look at the end of Romans chapter 1. Did God know where education in America was going or what? Now, let's set that aside for a moment and answer the first question. How can we say that the gospel is not just another subject, but rather not a subject at all, and the actual birth mother of all the other subjects? In Colossians 1.16, go ahead and quickly flip over there. Colossians 1.16, Paul states that by him, context lets us know that that's Christ he's talking about, by Christ all things were created, both in the heavens and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created by him and for him. How many things did he create? All things. Which things did he create? All of those things. Which things did he not create? None of those things. To examine an object and consider its origins, properties, and purposes, it is important, it is critical to be accurate in identifying its source. You walk out the front door and you see that laying on your lawn. What happens the moment you determine that it just spontaneously formed rather than being made by an intelligent maker and placed by an intelligent placer? vain speculation. Romans 1. And then everything else that follows. Okay. Man makes bottles. God makes universes. Who created math? For whom was it created? Is its highest purpose, now here's where we need to really start thinking through this. Is its highest purpose then to get an A in studying it? to get a degree in it, to attain a better job or bigger paycheck with it. Is that our goal? Or is it for him, as the text says, 
to know him better, to observe his fingerprints more clearly in what surrounds us. In other words, is it there to glorify man or is it there to bring Christ greater glory? Which one is it? Are the stars in the heavens there to tell man his story through foolish astrology? Or are they in the heavens to to tell God's story through brilliant and awe-inspiring astronomy? Is music's end to bring subjective pleasure to the senses of the human listener? Or is it to integrate, utilize, and manifest mathematics in an objectively beautiful auditory manner that draws the listener towards that which is good and true as defined by the Creator? Let that one cook for a while. Paul continues in verse 17, And he, Christ, is before all things. That means he is chronologically first. He's the first cause. And in him all things hold together. Yesterday we had a science project uh, or a science fair at my school. And I'm walking around. And uh, it was actually my son and his friend who did a, a, a project on uh, atomic structure and um as they were explaining to me i I grew in my awe and it actually sparked a lot of what i got thinking before i wrote the sermon um because i'm standing there looking at the model of this atom and thinking what is it that keeps those particles flowing around and not spinning away from its core you know, what we do is we speculate. Nobody's ever been small enough to get in there and figure it out. So what we do is we come up with these theories. But when we create these theories, what do we do? We fail to give God glory and consideration and thanks and honor. And we create explanations for things that do not involve him. And what we end up doing is we remove the sacred from the secular. You go back into the atomic structure and consider that and understand that the best that our schools can teach our kids is theory as to what holds that atom together. And then consider how many atoms make up just your finger and then how many of those atoms make up your whole body and then this building that we sit in and then all of Massapequa and then the earth and then the universe and everything is made out of atoms Who's got that under control? Verse 18. He is also the head of the body, the church, and he is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he himself might have come to first place in everything. Other versions say that he might reign preeminent. How dare we present any subject matter detached from the gospel? For the believer, there should not be the secular. To do so robs God of his glory, of the honor and thanks that we read about in Romans. That, when neglected, leads to all kinds of corruption. What we as Christian educators must do, and again, this is a, a different version, but the same idea that Caleb said earlier. If you have kids, you're a Christian educator. Okay, That's your mission at home. Now that we've established from God's word that stripping each subject from the sacred is dangerous and even eternally damning, and that the gospel is not just another subject, but rather not a subject at all, 
but the actual birth mother of all subjects. Let us now consider some of the main worldviews that chisel away at a biblical worldview of education and subtly mold our worldviews to that, to that of the world. These are what authors Gene Vaith and Andrew Kern refer to as viruses of the mind. So we're going to examine the viruses of the mind. These, by the way, uh, up until mid-late 1800s, most education that went on in the United States was uh, what we would call classical. Um, You know, it went back to models that were given to us by the ancient Greeks and Romans. Um, And we're going to talk about why those were very compatible with the gospel and why the gospel fit in so well to the Greek culture. Uh, But since then, uh, we, you know, different philosophies have been uh, composed, formulated, theorized throughout uh, recent history, and they've crept their way into our culture, into our world, and even worse, into the church. Okay? So, let's look at some of those. These are the viruses of the mind. Number one, empiricism. Empiricism was most clearly articulated by Francis Bacon, who died in 1626, just to give you a time frame. He is the father of the scientific method, also known as the Baconian method. While this method has some credible parts to it, be aware that its broader application to knowledge is very dangerous and contributes to the central problem described in Romans 1.21. It enables us to no longer give God thanks. Bacon held the idea that knowledge can only be derived from sense experience. That things can only be known as long as they can be detected by the five senses. John Dewey, arguably the father of modern American public education, as well as the founder of Columbia's Teachers College, made it clear when he steered our nation's academics intentionally away from the gospel, that wasn't an accident. That if a thing cannot be felt, heard, smelled, seen, or touched, it must not be taught. He went to the extent of expressing that to, to teach a child morality is to do that child a disservice. Now, how many times do you hear this discussion or even say these, these things yourselves? You see the schools and you see the chaos that's going on in them and you go, where did it all go wrong? Right here. Guys, and it's not by accident. There is an intentionality to implement philosophies that have been composed by godless men into a system that maybe in their fallenness, they think they're doing what is right. But the final outcome is Romans 1. Empiricism. The ancients, though, of Greece and Rome, even though they were pagans, they had an entirely different idea, an entirely different view of the senses, if you will. The classical Greeks and Romans held that before you can rightly discern what is detected by the five senses, you must first hold to a clearly defined structure of virtue by which you can then interpret what your senses detect. See, what our modern progressive empiricistic system deals with is what is. What they fail to ever be able to address is what ought be. That's where virtue comes in. 
The Christians came along and said, we know what the structure of virtue is. It's God and his word. And that's why we see so many people in the New Testament who come out of Greek backgrounds filling in the blanks and going, that makes sense. Christ is the center of all this. Empiricism, which is the seed from which the majority of American education grows, demands that we walk by the senses and not by ideas. Scripturally, we are to do the opposite. We are commanded to walk by faith and not by sight. Romans 12.2 says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. 2 Corinthians 10.5 says, We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. That's empiricism. Rene Descartes, who died in 1650, added to the trash heap of governing godless philosophies by contributing rationalism. He stated, I must once for all seriously undertake to rid myself of all the opinions which I had formerly accepted and commence to build anew from the foundation if I wanted to establish any firm and permanent structure in the sciences. In other words, at the heart of rationalism is the idea that to know anything means first to doubt everything. That barrage of whys. Why? Why do you want me to do that? That you are hit with as a parent when you instruct your children to do something is not necessarily automatically articulated by their nature. Their nature, which is Adamic, will embrace it readily. But that articulated response is training. That is training that flows out of rationalism and into our nation's youths every day throughout millions of classrooms across the country. By the time our kids are hit with the invitation to follow Christ, they have effectively been discipled to instantly doubt everything you're saying. Ecclesiastes 7.12 says, For the protection of wisdom is like the protection of money, and the advantage of knowledge is that is that wisdom preserves the life of him who has it. Proverbs 16, 16. How much better to get wisdom than gold. To get understanding is to be chosen rather than silver. Go back to the harassing that this family in a Bible study is giving one of my dads. Why are you sending your, your kid to a Christian school? It costs money. Well, it's better to get wisdom than gold. Proverbs 4.13, keep hold of instruction, do not let go, guard her, for she is your life, not just a convenience. Proverbs 22.6, train up a child in the way he should go, even when he is old, he will not depart from it. Proverbs 1.7, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, fools despise wisdom and instruction. Proverbs 18.15, an intelligent heart acquires knowledge, and the ear of the wise seeks knowledge. Deuteronomy eleven nineteen, you shall teach them to your children, talking of them, talking about the commands of God, when you are sitting in your house and when you are walking by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. When are we to be engaged in education? According to that, all the time. 
Proverbs 9.10, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. The last thing you need as a parent is someone training your kid to automatically and instantly doubt everything you're saying to them. Right? You should get angry about that. As a result of the doors that were opened by empiricism and rationalism, in walks the nail on the biblical worldview's coffin. And that's romanticism. While many contributed to this anti-biblical philosophy, the one who's most guilty is Jean-Jacques Rousseau, who died in 1778. Rousseau, in the words again of Vathan Kern, stated, argued that man was naturally good. Right there, it's dead. Man was naturally good and born free. Enslaved later only by society and its moral demands and trappings. How how dare they make us moral? As a result, man must be freed from such constraints and allowed to follow instead his emotions, his senses, and natural feelings as the path to truth. See, at this point, I kind of picture Jean-Jacques Rousseau prancing down the middle of Broadway in, you know, hot pink tights and a tutu, you know, with his husband hanging on the one arm and a syringe in the other, because I feel like it. You wonder why we have some of the crazy things going on in our schools? It's not by accident. It comes out of a philosophy, and that philosophy is you are born good, and since you are born good, that which drives you, which is your impulses and your senses, are to be followed. And who is anyone that they should stand in the way? 1 Corinthians 2.14 states, The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him. And he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. Jeremiah 1.17.9 uh, says, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick who can understand it now if the heart's deceitful above all things how foolish are we to follow it that's insane bacon descartes and rousseau were all wrong their ideas are clearly antithetical to what god states is the nature of man and of knowledge yet we have an entire academic industry And as a result, governmental industry, entertainment industry, and a million other industries that are the fruits of that industry that derives its life's blood from these false ideas. Unfortunately, and here's where we have the problem, we as Christians have been blindsided by it and have embraced it ourselves without much fight at all. It behooves us, therefore, to increase our awareness and our understanding of what God calls education and truth. That the learning of any body of knowledge begins with the Logos, capital L. Or in other words, the Word, who, as Vaith and Kern state, makes reason possible, harmonizes everything, and creates the conditions for ordered, knowable truth. They continue... Perceiving that humans live in a cosmos that makes ultimate sense and that they share it with other members of that cosmos, each of which can be known according to their natures. 
the Christian educator is reminded of his responsibility as a steward and a priest. The knowledge available to us is not given to amass power, but to cultivate and guard the earth. The whole creation groans and travails when creation's Lord shirks his stewardship of stewardship. Brethren, see to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit. According to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. Let me pray for us. Father, that is a lot to consume and digest right now. Uh, Lord, we all need uh, the intervention of your Holy Spirit to make that make sense. But Lord, I do pray uh, that everyone in this room, uh, myself included, would make more sense out of this, that we would be much more aware of those false godless philosophies out there that sneak into our homes through schooling, through TV, through computers, through radio, and unfortunately captivate the hearts and minds of our children. Lord, equip us to stand guard, to square our shoulders, to dig our heels in, and to get our war footing on. that we may, and we ask for your equipping to do this, stand as the guardians of our homes and of our families and of our kids. And Lord, help us to intelligently redirect their thinking towards that which brings you glory. Lord, continue to grow our understanding of of what we've learned this morning. Lord, cause us to be effective parents. And Lord, may we even be involved with a revolution in in our nation's academic system. Lord, here we are. Use us. Send us. Uh, Lord, use us to advance your kingdom. And we thank you for the privilege in doing so in Christ's name. Amen.